Hello, it's Sammy Lee here, and welcome to Chasing Sammy, a podcast all about candid conversations with everyday people, because we all have a story to tell, and sometimes hearing someone else's story is how we make sense of our own. On today's episode, Keisha Baines shares how her love for travel began, what lengths she was willing to go to to make it all happen, how show and tell is the ultimate gateway into public speaking. She also reveals both her most joyful and her most terrifying travel abroad experiences. Before we get into it, please note, this episode contains details about sexual assault that may be triggering for some listeners. Like legit, like you come with the receipts. Like you have lived what overseas for what 10, 15 years now in various countries. How long? Ten years. Ten years, yeah, man. In different countries, what Japan, uh, South Korea, Egypt. And I was in Egypt. Yeah. What? Oh my goodness! And allowing yourself to have this experience, what was the catalyst for you living in these different places and and really wanting to travel? I I have to attribute it to being Buddhist, like growing up Buddhist, because I grew up around a lot of people that weren't from America. And I'm like, oh, I want to go. And it wasn't, it was never brought to me like, oh, this person is different and you have to figure out their difference. It was just like, oh, look, look what they do. And I was just drawn to it. And it was never, I never felt like, oh, I can't do this or this is just for them or it's not for me or how am I going to do that? It was just like, oh, I'm going to do this because they did this too. Oh, what would it be like to be in a room where you don't understand anything? That excited me. (laughs) That's crazy because that's the thing that terrifies, I think, so many people. The idea of being someplace where either they don't know the language, the culture, um, they don't see anyone that looks like them. That's like, that's fear. And yet somehow for you, that was excitement. Oh my goodness. Like, let's do it again. (laughs) <laughs> when I see people I'm like oh it's new to you but what are you thinking well what is going through your head or what is it like I want to know what that's like so the only way to figure out what that's like is to put myself in situations where I have to know what that's like and that's absolutely like that's the only way the only way of expanding and growing and and yeah. Really connecting. I think there's something to be said about travel in that sense it just definitely it makes the world feel a little bit smaller and more connected to people, you know, because like things don't seem as foreign. And it's relatable. Yes. Like, we're so taught to resent whatever's different instead of relate to it that we miss out on stuff. And it's like, oh no, there's, there's way more that we can sort of bond on than we can argue about. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I think people forget that. And, and that's the beauty about travel like it allows you to to really I think let go and just be (laughs) you you, like there's no other thing to do but be in the moment in those types of in in those types of um, experiences speaking of like traveling and being everywhere so how have you been able to do that like what um, has it been through work or is it just something that you've made a priority so when I was in school, I wanted to study abroad, that I thought that that was the only way you could go overseas. So I'm like, oh, I have to be an exchange student. And I just thought that was a cool thing to say, like, oh, I want to be an exchange student. I did not have exchange student money and neither did my family. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> I was like, well, wait, well, then how do they do it? And then when I saw who exchange students were, I was like, oh, okay, that's how they do it. Um, and I went to, um, I got bused to a really good high school 
and most of my classmates were Jewish and they all went to Israel. Like that was the thing. Oh, okay, we're, we go at 13 and you go again at 15 or 16 and they'll go again. And I'm like, oh, I want to be able to do that. Right. Isn't um, that that first, like, is that, that's like the birthright trip, right? Where it's, it's paid like for through an, or, through an organization within the Jewish community, right? Yeah. So all of my friends and I, again, the joy of being me and not realizing how different I was is that I didn't even realize it was a religious thing. Mm. I was like, oh. Okay. Oh, they're going to Israel. Oh, cool. Like, can we go to Israel too? Like, where do I want to go? And if I had had enough context, I'd have been like, well, why can't black people go to Africa? Or why can't I? Like, I would have thought that way. But then I was just like, oh, they must really like to travel to Israel. Maybe it's a cool spot. Like, maybe is that where the Dead Sea is? Are they going to scrub their skin? Like, I was thinking all of these, like, fun things as opposed to it's a religious trip. It's a pilgrimage, basically. Right. And seeing all the people around me that are doing that i'm like oh i want to do that and i don't know how to do it and studying is not because it was it was an educational trip for them as well so i'm like oh well that must be what study abroad is and then they come back and they talk about it amongst themselves and then they'll do it again in high school or something and when i got to like i realized it wasn't going to happen in high school i got to college um i went to clark atlanta university um, HBCU, like I wanted to go to an HBCU. I wanted to be in Atlanta in that hub of all of those black higher education institutions, but we still hadn't developed a great study abroad program. And I had decided that I was going to take out like a $60,000 international loan to Ooh. go study in Japan, right? Stupid. I'm so glad the people around me love me and they didn't let me do that. And I was okay with it. I'm like, oh, you know, the greatest investment is the one is when you invest in yourself. Like, that's what I told myself. And I'm like, I'm just going to go. And I remember I had the loan papers and my financial aid officer had me in her office for about an hour. And she had my mama on the phone. And one of my Buddhist leaders were like, we're not going to let you do this. Like, there has to be another way are you thinking of all the ways? And I'm like, I just want to go. Like, I want to go and study in Japan. Um, I chose Japan because I grew up Buddhist. And I'm like, oh, well, I, I want to understand this language, not just this religion, but I want to understand the religion through the language. So I had a purpose and I, I just wanted to do it. And I'm so glad everyone was like, no. And that was the one time my stubborn butt listened. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness for protection. Cause that is wild. What? 60 oh. grand loan? For, for not even a full year because they don't like financial aid is not like that. Financial aid is a Western concept. It might just be an American concept. Like if you don't have the money to go to school in a lot of other countries, you don't go. And that's not just university that's all the way up. So thinking about that, I'm like, but I want to be there. And I remember just really, really praying about it and studying and chanting and like talking to all of my friends and feeling defeated because I did not take out that loan and I didn't do it. That's how I felt. And I met like one of my, um, leaders in my Buddhist group was like, hey, I used to study at this English school and that they paid for their teacher to come overseas. I think you would be great at it. And I'm like, what do I look like teaching English? Do you hear me right now? Like, is this what you want to sound like? <laughs> oh, but I, wait, oh, wait, but the hustle though. I was like, Keisha, think about it though. 
what if I can go on somebody else's dime? And that never dawned on me. It also never dawned on me until I got overseas and everyone asked me if I was military, that that was another way to go. Never thought about that. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I found the organization or the company. Uh, I went overseas first with a company, an English teaching company called Eon. And they happened to be doing interviews in Atlanta where I lived like the next two weeks. And I got hired immediately. And I just chose to put it all. I was like, okay, I want to plan. I'll go in like five months. And that's when I went. So wow. it was business first. And I'm like, oh, this was much better. <laughs> <laughs> so you went from, I'm just going to take out this 60 grand loan. <laughs> and I'm going to just go ahead and invest in myself, quote unquote, not even for a full year, but I'm going to no. go ahead and do this. To, no, I'm going to travel on somebody else's dime. And at the same time, really be able to not only fulfill my purpose, but offer purpose to others because you're teaching English while you're over there. Yes. And I didn't, I didn't think about the, the importance of language until I got there because, and I think that's something that no one really thinks about because you just know it. You just learn it. You just come up with it. You haven't been without it. Right. Before. We take it for granted. Yes. But even understanding the importance of, or just the, how much of culture is in language. So when you change it and what language, what culture is being removed, and the importance of even me being there because the school that I went to, they had never had another black person before. Um, and enrollment went up when I got there. Like, what? what? Who's coming? Really? Oh, yeah. I, I had to think about that. And I remember there was this lesson about, there was a lesson about Ebonics. And I didn't know, like, I... I wish that I was a little bit older when I got there because I was what, 23. Um, so I didn't have nearly the language or the vocabulary or the grace that, I, that I'm still trying to get if I had gone in my 30s to be able to look at that lesson and give a better explanation of why on one hand it's offensive, um, stereotypical, but then to be able to open up in such a way where they felt comfortable, where I could teach and they could learn from me right. with regards to that particular lesson. And I was just like, wait, this is, oh, are you calling? And like, this is the only like chapter in the book where you had like, oh, black people are draw, like the Ebonics lesson. Um, and I remember like one of the sentences was, um, he be running or she be doing this or something like that. And not even realizing, because I'm not going to meet any of my African friends um, until I get to Korea seven years later, that there is an actual sentence structure in different languages in Africa. That, that is the structure of the sentence. And it's not wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's not something to be made fun of. It's, not some, it's different from you, but also this, this is your language that we've, that we've taken. And now... You're attempting to tell us that it's wrong, but you, not even that we've taken, that you forced on us. <laughs> How many people have been, has English and French been forced upon, but it looks like us. And then just having, having to validate yourself based on that. And that's like, I wish that I had, I wish that I was a little older to not just be pissed about that chapter 
<laughs> I mean, I think that's it, right? I mean, I know that for me, the this last year, so much has come to me in a way that's like, okay, I now have language and insight into the things that I think would that I've always felt or have made me upset and not really understanding how to articulate it properly. And I think yeah. you, you conveying that as like the difference between being in your 20s in Japan, seeing this curriculum and your instant reaction is to be upset. And yeah. I think on part of it's like, yeah, that's rightfully so. But then it's like, where's the intent behind this? Where is all of that other stuff? And like knowing that your 20 something year old self didn't really get it, but your 30, your 30 plus year old self does and would, yeah. would have been able to then offer a grander um, insight. I think that's, I think that's really profound for you to take that step, at least look at yourself, that little introspective moment, you know? Yeah. Cause it was like in, as you, as the students learned higher levels of English, um, and it was a, it was a learning opportunity for me as well. So the, the intent was to introduce different styles of English. So for even from different countries that speak English, that this is that American English is not it's not the in Japan, in Japan they have a standard Japanese there anyone that deviates from this standard is considered different or an accent but everyone knows what the standard is and there's no standard English per se mm. so the intent was okay this is just American English or this is just British English but then this is how they speak in Singapore and this is what they use in India and the, so I understand from that point of view like oh this is what this is how, in their mind, this is what black people sound like. So it has, so this is how they talk and this is how you have to understand them. But I also looked and I looked at their education department. I was like, oh, no one in R&D is black. Got it. So that's another thing. <laughs> and I remember like briefly thinking, how far up do I want to go in this company? Like, do I want to eventually be on that level where I can be in that room to make that decision? And eventually I chose not to, but that was another layer of it. Like, oh, it's someone on the outside trying to figure out how to explain what they don't know. Okay. Again, the importance of having not just a seat at the table, but a voice. You know what I mean? Like, if there was somebody there who looked, you know, like us, making, being able to contribute to that conversation, so many, in, in, forget just in that setting, in so many settings, yeah. things would just go differently. <laughs> it would just go, it would be that person be like, nah, you don't want to run that ad. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, let's put pause on that. <laughs> Wait a uh, it's funny you brought that up. My first week there, like you do, we did like a, a week and a half training or something. And even within my, like the people that came over, I was the only black person in my training group. And it was probably about 15 or 20 of us. And all the trainers, white men, um, and there were like maybe two Asian guys. Most people came from America. We had some from Canada. And on the last day of training, we're out hanging out and one of the trainers comes over to me and he's like, well, how do you like, what, what's it like being in Japan so far? Like, how do you feel? Are you uncomfortable? Do you feel left out? And I'm like, oh no, like I'm, I'm used to growing up around Japanese people. And like, this is fun to me, like being this different and knowing why people are staring at me as opposed to being at home and you looking at me crazy. Like, yeah, I like this. And his response was, yeah, because in Japan, we're all niggas what that part and i just again i'm 20 
not that I'm not quite tactful. But at this point, the I always tell myself like my like the lesson that I've been trying to learn in my life that I sometimes I'm good at, sometimes I'm not, is that I always have something to say, but I don't always need to say something. Mm. And that was the one moment where like I didn't say anything because I didn't know if I wanted to drop kick them. I didn't know <laughs> if I wanted to cut them out. I didn't know if I want like is this a teachable moment was nowhere in my vocabulary at 23. I promise you that. So I just stood there and he was like, he really felt like we connected. <laughs> and he thought he was in the, he was like in the clear for saying. Yes. Yeah. So, oh my goodness. Like that's the hardest part is when you're in these moments where there's just wrong. Someone has just said something that's so wrong and it's coursing through you and you literally only have like seconds to make a decision. <sighs> Whether it's like, do I teach? Do I go off? Do I say nothing? How do I, how do I want this to impact the rest of my day as yes. well as how am I going to reach this person? Or is this person even reachable? Reachable, yeah. And for me, it was like my career. Like I have moved my entire life to Japan. I have left everything, everything. My apartment, I gave away all my stuff. I don't have a job. Like I... I already applied for my pension from the police department. Like I'm gone and you want me to do this right now with you. And I got, didn't say anything. And I went like, I, we took the train back. He went someplace else. I went back to the training facility so that I could pack. And we were going to our respective sites the next morning. And like the next morning, one of the, the lead trainer had asked me how my evening was. And I was like, yeah, whatever his name was. And I was like, you know what? He's, cause he would make like little comments, not necessarily about me or about black people, but just like, oh, like, uh, was that the best decision? And I had said something like, oh, that cat is the exact same person in training than he is outside of training. And mm -hmm. I left it at that. And then I was like, you know what? You'll be fine, Keisha. You have to deal with this. You'll have to learn. I think I called one of my friends in Atlanta. I got a calling card <laughs> and called one of my friends like, can you believe this? And then three days later, the company, like three of the companies, like I think like the education director, the guy that I spoke to, who's the lead trainer and another person came all the way to my little town to tell me, they asked, they were like, yeah, I was concerned about what you said. So we asked him what happened that would make you say that. And he told us and we fired him. We came to say sorry. And I was like, what? Wow. <laughs> Huh? <laughs> what? And I like I had no idea. Like by the time I got to where I lived, and I lived like an hour and a half outside of Tokyo. By the time I got there, I was like, you know what? You can do this. Like you're here to have this whole experience. You're here to grow up. You're here to figure this out. I had put it out my mind until I heard like, hey, people are coming to see you in two days. And I'm like, all right, they must be checking on all the new teachers. Oh no. Like we we're doing this sorry tour. Uh -uh. <laughs> but I mean, how brilliant is that? That a company really they're invested in you, your experience, yeah. your safety, and your well-being to yeah. look into a very easy comment that could have just been dismissed. Yeah, like dig a little bit deeper because they they have the understanding and the wherewithal of like, oh, okay, she's she's saying something without saying something. Let's let's get into that, and then handled it. <laughs> they bossed up. That's amazing. Yes. And that, 
And I pretty much had that experience with them when I was there. And, I mean, you know, you can have all kinds of experiences everywhere with companies and whoever else. That that was how, like, that level of protection that I had, that I realized I had, I felt comfortable being there. And I stayed, I stayed with them for two years. Like, the only reason why I left is because I was ready to do something else. That is beautiful. Because seriously, I mean, there's companies where people can have... Um, they will label anyone being, um, you know, basically saying something that is racially insensitive as, oh, well, that's just a personality issue yeah. or, you know, and they, and they basically almost try to gaslight you as if you're not um, aware <laughs> of what's really going on. So not I don't, almost, they do. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Let's take away that almost. But yeah. like, I think I, man, I applaud that company. They really had yeah. your back. And made you feel comfortable to continue on for the two years until you decided this was time for me to try something else, as opposed to feeling like you were pushed out or forced out or whatever, you know, that left on a negative term. Yeah. Yeah. I love them. I did. If I, and I thought about it, like, oh, when I go back, I would, if I had nothing else to do, I would. Oh, I hear retirement plans. <laughs> like, while you were traveling, what's the scariest experience you've had overseas? Oh my gosh. Okay. Egypt. So I went to Egypt because I needed a break from Asia. So I was in Japan for seven years. Then I went to Korea for six months. And then I went to Egypt. I was like, I can't. Because I went to Korea thinking I need something different than Japan. And I played myself. Um, <laughs> I went to Egypt to study Arabic and dance. Like I found a great dance teacher. She was there. She's like, yeah, come here. Um, there was a dance festival happening. I just wanted to be in it. And it was great. And I have my own apartment. And the apartments in Egypt are, they're huge. Like I got a really nice size apartment for about $300. It was like four bedrooms, two bathrooms, um, a sitting room, which is basically like our living room. And then an actual living room. What? Yes. Um, it was on like the fourth floor and they have a doormat. The bawab is the person that like gets the elevator for you. Or when you come downstairs, that's the person that will get you a taxi or something like that. And that's the person who pretty much lives in the building. Um, it's a low paying job, but it's a way to sort of make sure that people in the community have some way to support themselves. So like, his family, his family lived like off the grounds, but he lived in like this little tiny little, I couldn't even call it a studio, just like a little space. Um, and he had to be up and ready whenever anyone came into the building. So I'm there for maybe not even a full week, I don't think. Um, and again, I'm traveling by myself. I live in Nasser. I wasn't in Cairo at first. I lived in Nasser because it was, I was taking four days of Arabic classes, um, like four hours a day or something. And I wanted to live closer to school than I did to my dance teacher. And the way that the house is, or the, the front door is, is that on the inside of the house, there's no knob. So you have to keep the key in the door in order to open the door from the inside. And I just remember the guy telling me that. So I'm like, okay, that's a little weird to me, but at least you never lose your key. Cause that's always my joint. Like dad, where my keys go? Um, so I'm, he comes, he doesn't speak any English. My Arabic is real minimum and it easily becomes Japanese. That's also another problem when you speak another language. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I'm, 
he's something happened in my apartment. I want to, I think the, like the water overflowed in the bathroom or something like that. And he's supposed to come up and fix it. Cause he's also like a maintenance person. And he comes upstairs and like, I, I know that he's on his way upstairs because I'm talking on the phone to the person at the school. Who's like, who's helping me navigate all of these things. And then again, they, they take care of their students. So I'm here as a student. Um, with them and they've done everything that they can to really really support me so he's on his way to the school but he lives a good hour out and he's like oh you know whatever his name is is on his way upstairs make sure you let him in I let the guy in I'm still talking on the phone with the guy I'm walking the bow up to the bathroom to let him see what's happening and he's in the bathroom and I'm fine and I hang up the phone and he comes out and he puts his no I look at the door when I just, I like walked to the front of the door because I didn't need to stand in the bathroom. And I realized that the key is not in the door. Mm. And like Immediately I'm like, oh shit, I can't get out my own house. And he comes up and like I, and for, like I left the door open because we're, we're in here. We don't, there's no reason for us to have this door closed. Um, and just as a safety precaution that I think a lot of women take. Um, but when I saw it closed, I wasn't that worried. When I saw the key was out, I was, and I was like, Oh, I'm gonna have to cut him. I just, <laughs> I felt that. And he came up behind me, he came beside me and he put his arm around me and put his, tried to put his hand on my chest. What? Like, oh, I'm gonna have to fucking kill him. So I like get out of it. And he's, He's still smiling in the way that men do when they know they're doing some creepy shit and they're just trying to convince you that it's okay. So I don't have to understand what you're saying. I know what you're doing and I know what this is. Right. And That's a universal language. <laughs> it is. That unfortunately, as me growing up as a black woman, as a black girl, I've always had to see, I know that face. Yeah. I just do. So, I, so I'm like, okay, do I want to snap first? I can't because I don't know where the key is. So I don't, so what I need to do is figure out where the key is. That's what I need to do first. So I don't want to go get too upset at first or let him know that I'm already nervous. So keep the same smile key. I still have my phone. It's a cheap, it's one of those flip phones. Girl, it was 08. Don't joke. Um, <laughs> Ain't nobody mad. It's okay. You were smiling. Thank you. Yes. So like I make, I call the guy that I just hung up with, who's the guy at the car, at the how at the school and I, I dial his number and then I hang up and it triggers him to call me back. So when the phone rings and the guy keeps like trying to come closer and closer to me, I keep stepping back and like pointing him to the bathroom and like kind of making small bits and pieces of Arabic conversation, but he's way too close. And I'm like, this is not going to work. So when the guy calls and I say his name, the guy stops and I was like, oh, you're downstairs. And his job is that he has to let him upstairs because he's upstairs, so the elevator is upstairs. Right. So that means this person, you're not doing your job right now. So as soon as he hears me say his name, and I'm like, oh, you're downstairs, and I point to the, and I like pointing at the door, he gets flustered, he gets nervous, and he pulls the key out of his pocket, opens the door. Soon as he opens the door, I push his ass out and lock it. And I was like, you need to get here now. And like, that's where I allowed myself to panic. I was like, okay, you don't have to hold it together no more. You need to get over here now. And I want out of this place. If you are not here in 15 minutes, and I knew he lived an hour away. You're not here in 15 minutes. I'm getting all my money back from your school and I'm bouncing. And like, he gets off the phone. He calls the head of the school. 
And I won't, like, I didn't want to talk to another man and hear him say, it's not a big deal. So the, like, basically like the headmaster of the school, his wife calls me and she's like, I will come over. She's like, I don't know what happened, but you sound scared. I'll come over. I called my dance teacher and she's like, this is what you need to say. These things in this order. And I'm like, oh, okay. So what do I need to say? Okay. So international police embassy. But like she just had the list and I'm like, oh, that does make a difference. And regardless of what language you speak, you understand those terms. And she's like, what were the terms? um, That it was like international police or something like that. Embassy. um, Because, and the privilege of our passport, I don't know if that still exists, but there is a certain level of privilege that comes with an American passport. Um, So there is a bit more that people will listen to when things happen to us overseas. Mm. And she's like, you know, I'll send you the number to who you should call. And she lived like right by, she lived in Cairo near all of the embassies. So she's like, this is what you need to do. I'll make another phone call for you. She calls, she has her own driver. And like people in Egypt generally have a driver, even if it's a taxi. She's like, I'm going to send my driver to come get you, but you need to move out now like that because he's the person that i see that i will have to see in this place the entire three months i'm going to be there like i won't be safe with this person at all so she's like you need to get out i'm sending someone to come get you get your money back (laughs) get your money back get this taken care of don't open that door until you hear that woman on the other side and that's where i was like and i just and i like for a minute i'm like okay do i like what can happen to me right now in the amount of time where the people that know what ha- that know what's going on aren't here and they can't help me just yet. Right. And realize I'm like, oh, I can't call anybody. Like there's nobody. I, it wasn't a police matter. So I wasn't able to call like the local police. And I've had that, I had that same awareness in Japan um, when I got attacked by my um, homestay brother when I was staying with somebody during school that like oh that's not they don't do quote-unquote domestic issues so what happens in those moments then how is that not a police matter it's right because get your American brain off girl Uh, (laughs) (laughs) they don't that they consider a lot of places consider things that happen in the home private so we wouldn't intervene in that until there was like blood was drawn or something right was that like what's the yeah and i just remember like just being in this big old apartment and like oh i can't like who am i gonna call like who who's going to help me or like what's the story going to be if if i don't make it or if i can't tell the story what are they gonna say happen are they gonna blame me is it gonna be is it gonna be my fault and like all of these things going through my head in the span of time that it takes this man's life to get here and i was just like i need I need somebody that I can trust. And I, I knew a couple of people at the Arabic school that there was a sister that I met in Korea. She got, she went just before me. So she also went to that school. She didn't live that far from me. Um, there were siblings, um, black folks. I think they were from Boston that also went to the school. So I called them too. And I'm like, I need y'all to come over. And if he don't let y'all up in the elevator, I need y'all to take the stairs. <laughs> like, let's go and so i basically just had like a crew of expat black folks in my apartment helping me through it 
And I was like, you know, I don't feel, as much as I love you guys, you guys don't know the lay of the land as much as I need you to. And my dance teacher, Iranian-born, British national, but she lived, she speaks Arabic, um, but she lived in Egypt. And she knew more of how to maneuver that. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to move into Cairo and just come see y'all. Um, so I still went to the school. I, I was able to get all my money back um, when, because they uh, eventually it became like, well, if you report him to the international police or go to your embassy or something, he could lose his job and his job is his house and how he takes care of his family. And I'm like, okay, this is way too much. This is, this is too much. And I feel like he should have made a better decision if this is everything that's on the line. That's how I feel. Um, but I just I want it out. I was like, I need to go. I need all my money back and I need to be able to leave. See, and I think that's, that's crazy though that like their response to you was, well, look, if you file this, look at how you're damaging him. And they're putting that on you in such a moment of just like in crises. Like your mind is not clear, you know, to have to make, uh, I don't know. I just, I just feel my heart racing as you're telling me this. Yeah, but like that's the, that's the response now. Like that's the response that exists and like that's been the accepted response. And like, oh, th that's why I'm so glad. Like as I get older that I realize, like, oh no, no, I have to break that. I can't fall into that because that's what happens. Oh, well, you know, he has so much going for him. And, you know, as you see that when, you know, you talk about the entire Me Too movement and, you know, how these powerful men are being brought down and they're saying like, oh, you're erasing their legacy or you're they're like, no, they, they, they make choices. They make choices. Yeah. And I think, and you're right. Like it's, it's easy to, um, it's easy to recognize that now. Yeah. It, back then it was a very different conversation that's had. And it's like, you know, we're leaving people in places of what little power they have, they still have power. And they were leaving yeah. them for the next person to walk into their trap. And yeah. whereas the beautiful thing is now people are speaking up to change that narrative. And especially like on an individual level, like to change it for yourself, but at the same time, you're changing it for every woman that comes after you. Yes. And even not just for us to like speak on it, but for the people that want to cover it up, for the people that are afraid to talk about it. Like the uncomfortable part of that scenario, once it got down to it, is like, are you, do you understand that this man is a problem? <laughs> yeah. Like, do you? And a huge red flag. Yeah. And if you don't understand it, then is that because you've seen this and you've been ingratiated in this your entire life as well? Like, you're in this shit too. Whether you're the man that doesn't or the woman that's had to deal with it. And I was like, no, the conversation isn't, oh, Keisha, be nice. And I was like, no, no, no. First, do you even think that this is wrong? Not that I'm upset about it. You've acknowledged that I'm pissed about it. And then I'm ready to go and I'm ready to take my money with me. And I know, and I also understood that money talks. I understand what it looks like for, because I uh, see my tuition for that school was $125 for a semester. And that was four hours a day for a whole semester. It was $125. Really? And that was, yeah, that was the American price too. Like in real life, it was probably like 60 for Egyptians. And I'm like, here, whatever. Um, but I also knew like, okay, well, I can just take my money and also tell people not to come here. And that affects your money. That affects your bottom line. 
Do you understand that this is not an inconvenience for you? This is a problem. Right. <laughs> this is a problem, and that means people aren't going to want to come here. Definitely not women. Definitely I mean, not black women. 100% because I think that's the thing that a lot that prevents a lot of women traveling alone it's the thing that prevents prevents a lot of black women traveling as well because I think there's this this way that other cultures um, perceive women perceive black women and 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 that's scary. So like your story that you're saying I think that's the fear that a lot of people have and it's like well that's not how it is everywhere and there are ways to protect ourselves but it's also to know what to do if you're in those situations and i think that was brilliant how you were able to still keep grounded while something really tragic what was basically about to happen oh yeah and like i said i'd already in japan i'd already been attacked and i already had to deal with all of that so i was definitely just not in the mood to do this again like that was not about to be my story globe trying uh-uh. <laughs> um, but then also i think it's that that has been what happens around the world and that different countries different women different times can dilute that that we don't have to live under oh well this is how we treat women or this is what women are supposed to do that luckily in this country with the women that we are we are good at saying hell no nah, we're not doing this this is not about and we push it we push that barrier back all the time to let to let men know and let people know like this shit is not acceptable and people know better like he knew better they knew better even the because i think he there was a woman that lived downstairs who basically like her family owned the building and her husband didn't talk to me. She did. And by the time I was like, give me my money back. And I was dead serious. And my car is outside. And she's like, well, are you sure you felt uncomfortable? Are you sure? And I'm like, Oh, you have enough English to question me now. Got it. No, I'm very sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm very sure. And all my cash is to come back to me right now. or It's going to be a problem for all of y'all. How about that? So I just, I, I can see how, I see the importance of like the movement that women and black women in particular in America have to push because that does send ripple effects throughout the world. That does. That I had a different experience as a black woman than some of the white chicks walking around Egypt, for sure. Like what people would try on them, they would not even bring to me. But I also have very different experience with my dark skinned friend than who I traveled with, who was in school with me, than she had because of her being dark skinned. So it's my dynamic show. Like it's never boring overseas. So Oh my goodness. We're gonna circle back to passport privilege as well. And um okay. And as well, I mean, a few other things that you touched on that I just was like, oh my gosh, I want to know more. But I also need to hear a joyful and memorable experience right now because I was not ready for that. <laughs> oh no. No, but I mean, I feel like that's just, it's real, you know? Yeah. And I think people need to hear that because oftentimes people glamorize travel and, or they, and they hush up all like the dark stuff or you see on television and media, like in just various media, how horrible it is. Like there's these extremes, right? And it's like, no, people can have both an up and a down and somewhere in the middle experience traveling. And the idea is the more that we speak about these moments, the more we can start actually living 
better, <laughs> you know, yeah. and live in a way that, that helps you navigate when you're traveling, you know? So yeah. So, all right. Hit me with your best, most memorable experience overseas. Oh gosh. Oh my goodness. There's so many. Okay. I know. Right. See, exactly. There's so many. And I love that. I love that. Like for me asking you what your worst was, you only had, well, not only, I'm sure there's others, but two, uh, two. two really like leapt forward. And now it's like, we're talking about something that's joyful and that's wonderful. And you're like, oh, I have so many. I was like, yes. <laughs> oh, okay. So my last year in school, so I went to a two-year college to study Japanese language and translation. Um, so I'd stop, I changed my visa over to a student visa, which stinks. Um, not as much freedom as a work visa. And I was like, I was determined to like get a grasp on this language more so because I was not like just to be there, but everyone expected. And even I expected that as soon as I got to Japan, I would just pick the language up real quick and come back fluent and everything would be great. And it wasn't happening. And I just had a large amount of anxiety whenever I spoke to someone from home and they're like, speaking Japanese. I'm like, oh, 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 like, oh no. And I'm like, oh crap, I can't go home and not know this language. So I was like, you know what? buckle down, you're doing this. Like, I'm not going to work. I'm not teaching English. Like, that's that's why I stopped working. That I was just going to focus on study. And I chose a school, um, Kansai, what's the English name? Kansai College Business and Languages in Osaka. And I chose that school because most of the student population were Asian. So no one's first language for real was English. And just the least, the more Japanese I had to speak, the faster I knew I would learn. So there were only like three of us from English speaking countries. And then everyone else was like Korean, Chinese, Japanese. And I decided that I would do a speech contest. And it made sense because, and I didn't realize it until we were doing like a report on like what schools are like when you're growing up in these different countries. And so far, America and kindergarten with show and tell is like a gateway into public speaking that other places don't have. Really? Never. Yeah. Like show and tell wasn't that big of a deal. When I think about it, I'm like, ah, oh, you know, you brought in your favorite toy. I love showing off my stuff. I remember when my cat <laughs> made a debut. Like it was a thing. But that really is your opportunity where we can talk about ourselves, something that's just us, that we love. And we, that's, that's public speaking. That's a way for us to showcase and, you know, brag on yourself for a bit. That's not normal. And like, there was, I couldn't even think of how to translate show and tell into Japanese. So I just like, there were just tons of confused faces on my classmates' face. And even my teachers, they were like, what? So, so you just talk about it? And that's, <laughs> like, yeah, on Fridays, it's what's up. Like, it's cool. So when the speech contest came up, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is a great way for me to, one, learn Japanese, learn polite Japanese. Um, because I lived in Osaka, Osaka is not the standard Japanese at all. So doing the speech contest, you had to use standard Japanese. And I'm like, okay, I need to learn this too. So it was all just one big learning experience for me. And I, like, of course I'm the only black person in it. And it's, but I'm up against a lot of Asians who already have a head start on me because they understand 
Chinese characters already. They understand Asian cultures already. Um, the fact that like Korean and Japanese are derivatives of Chinese, like they already one up me. So it's already understood like this little black girl's not gonna be able to do much. And I kind of went in with that, like, dag, I'm way behind the curve on this, but still like busting my tail. And like we did, I did the contest at the school. I won the contest at the school. What? Like, Get it? Okay. What I didn't know is that whoever wins the school contest goes to nationals. <laughs> that, it's like, it was cool. We were just like in the auditorium at the school and I'm like, okay, so we're doing nationals. So I have, but it, and it's the same speech. It's like five minutes and everyone gave a speech on like, it's taking a bath is so difficult. People take, people take showers in other countries. Baths confuse people in a lot of countries, I guess. I don't know. I didn't want to give a speech about a cultural difference. I just thought that was played out and boring and who wants to hear that? And I, like there's, um, Japan has a very secret homeless population that they don't like to talk about. <laughs> they, there's a magazine that homeless people sell in Japan called The Big Issue. And it was always like, it was in, the magazine itself was in Japanese. It always had a famous person on the front of it. And I always saw them like when I was changing trains on my way or to school or coming back from school. So I never knew, I just saw like, oh, it's Orlando Bloom or it's Denzel Washington or like some super famous person, whatever movie was out at that time that stars on the front of this magazine. But I didn't know what it said because I walked by too fast. So I'm like, uh-oh, are they in trouble? Like, what did they do? Who died? Like, I didn't understand. Mm -hmm. And then one day I just stopped and asked, like, yo, what is this? And the guy, like, no one had ever stopped because everyone would walk past. No one would stop. So I'm like, oh, I'm just super curious. Like, what is it? And he's like, first of all, you're the only person that's ever stopped. But yeah, this is a magazine for that homeless people sell in order to create their own income. And I was like, oh, shit, y'all got me. So I would just start buying them, yo. And I wanted to learn more about it. So I started volunteering for that particular organization, um, learning more about like the homeless population in Japan and then in Asia as a whole. And it was, it was a great way for me to just sort of learn a different part of the country and of that region. So that's what my speech was on. It was on, and it was also introducing people to the big issue and encouraging them to buy it. Like, this is what it is when you see it, when you see these. And it was mostly men. I only saw like one woman um, selling that. There aren't a lot of women uh, homeless people in Japan that I could see. A lot of that was ageism, but we'll get to that later. Um, so that was my speech. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to change the speech for sure. Like, even if, especially if we're going to nationals, like now all of y'all need to hear it. So I worked my tail off because the longer I lived in Osaka and the better my Japanese became, the more that Osakan accent came out. It can be a little scary sometimes. <laughs> and so I would just like, I would work with different teachers every day after school for like two hours. So like I'm in school anyway from about eight, to like three and then I'm staying after until like five or six o'clock to study and that was my life for about six months get to nationals and 
it really is everybody and they're all Asian and they all sound perfect. And I'm like, God, are you kidding me? Like, even here, no black people. And we had even like, we had a lot of Thai people in my school. I'm like, no ties, like no brown folks at all. I gotta do this for all of us. Okay. <laughs> and like, just before the competition, my teachers let me know that my, so the, the president of our school is also on the board of like the, the English or the colleges or something like that committee. And every year he goes and every year his school loses. The school had never won. <laughs> no pressure or anything. Just at all. Right? Not only you got to do it for the, got to do it for the, for the brown people. Now you yeah. got to do it for the school. That, and he's Get like, he's a good 80, like on his youngest day, maybe 82, 83, like he's old too. And like, I, cause I saw him and like, he knows me and he's an awkward old Japanese man. Um, and that he doesn't know what to do when he sees me. I'm like, dude, you gave me, you gave me my check and my winning certificate like you can't say hi i still confuse you okay so like leave this honorary old man alone but he's also there and he's in the front row with his people so no pressure and like i just remember like the girl before me korean girl you know all dressed up and nice and ready and had it and like in the middle of her speech she just blacks out and it's silent and i was like oh my gosh if she can do that then oh my gosh, I'm going to forget. Like, I'm not going to know what to say. I'm not going to, and I'm nervous. I'm terrified. And like my whole, they had it in Osaka that year. And usually it bounces between Tokyo and Osaka. So my whole school is basically there supporting me. (laughs) (laughs) Get it. Yes. So good. So good. And I get up there. I'm not like, I wasn't, I didn't wear a suit or anything like that. Like I did, I did give y'all a nice blowout. Like that's what you got. But I'm going to throw this top on and this skirt and we just gonna make it happen. And I just remember getting up there and like at first I was nervous and I had like the speech with me and then I'm like, oh, I don't want to read it. Like this is not, I don't have to read this speech because I actually live this. Like, this is actually what I believe in. I actually want people to know who these people are. I want them to know what this magazine is and what it's for and what this plight is for. And, and like by like maybe halfway through the first page, I was completely off book. It flowed. It felt comfortable. Like I cracked a joke and folks laughed. I was like, oh yeah, this is how I give a speech. Like I don't, even realizing that like, oh, I don't give speeches like you do because of my uh, show and tell training, like it's a conversation with a microphone, first of all. And I, I didn't expect to win. And I just remember when they said my name, like I was like, I sat there for a minute and like my school was up and like the girl next to me and the girl who went before me is like, hey girl, that's you. <laughs> Oh, shit. And I just remember seeing, again, that Henri old man who I know in his heart, he was happy. He just didn't know how to show happy. <laughs> but yeah. because he was, he was like the chair of the board. So he's the person that gives you your certificate when you win. So like he, he gave it to me at the school. But then it also meant like every year when he, when his school lost, he had to present that certificate to somebody else. 
So like this year, it's my black ass you're giving it to. Hey, what's up? Uh, it, <laughs> it was straight up the greatest moment. Like, it was a lot of fun. I have it on DVD. Like the the magazine ended up doing a story on me for the magazine for the big issue. Um, oh, cool. like, yeah, like one of my um one of my Buddhist leaders there, she used to get it and she was like, Keisha, this is you. They made like a little caricature of me. Aww. Like a little cartoon form. It was really cool. So yes, that was one of my favorite moments in Japan. Oh my gosh, that's like the ultimate movie. Yeah. <laughs> you like somebody Googled me and it came up. I was like, what? Hey, anything could have came up, but it was that. Hey. Oh my gosh, that is dope. That yeah. is oh that is beautiful. <laughs> yes. Even with that on honorary old man just sort of like hmm. Mm. That was his best, though. That was <laughs> that was the best he could do. Uh, you know, and, and that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> we, we accept this. I mean, this yeah. is a good way to shine. <laughs> it doesn't. This is just part one, y'all. We are just getting started. In part two, we discuss her company, Travel Rookies, and how anyone on any budget can explore the world. So tune in. Thank you so much for listening to Chasing Sammy, a podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. You can catch me on all social media platforms at Chasing underscore Sammy. Would you like to share your story with me? I'm always down for a good chat. Go to sammylee.com to get in touch. That's S-A-M-M-E-E-L-E-I-G-H dot com. Until next time.